Hey y'all, I'm your host, Miss Nikki, and I welcome you to Something to Say, where we dig into topics that aren't really discussed in the church, but are felt and experienced in everyday life. God always has something to say to every one of us. What is he saying today? Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Something to Say. Tonight we are going to be talking about sleeping with the enemy. Now I have a lot of information to to give you guys, so I'm definitely going to jump right in there. I'm pretty sure you've heard of the movie Sleeping with the Enemy, so you kind of, you know, got an idea of where I'm going with this. This is something that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time, but I had to put the information together, you know, do some studying and pull from the word and kind of see how I could break this down. So I really feel like I got it. Um, I just pray that those that are under the sound of my voice, I pray that this word really touches your heart and really makes you think, really allows you to seek the Lord about this topic. Um, It's a lot of little nuggets, so let's jump in. What is an enemy? Google's definition. I have two. So the first one says, a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. Number two, a a hostile, excuse me, nation or its armed forces or citizens, especially in time of war. Number three, a thing that harms or weakens someone else. Okay, so we got enemy. What is the definition of sleep? We all know what sleep means. We all know what it means to sleep. As far as sleep is concerned with me, I'm looking to get as much rest as possible. I love my sleep. In fact, if I don't get all my rest, I am dingy to I don't know what. I cannot figure things out. I don't know what you're saying. I can't get my head on straight if I don't get any rest. So what is Google's definition of sleep? Now, I have two definitions here. When I discuss these definitions, I want you to think of the spiritual aspect of sleeping. What does it mean to to be spiritually asleep? Because this is where I'm really going with this. It's very close when I read this definition, very close to how you can be spiritually asleep. Think of the enemy and how he could have you spiritually asleep to things, how he could have you blinded and not able to see what God really called you here for you know what's your calling in life what is your destiny you know um the enemy uses a lot of things in our lives to kind of keep us from knowing the true call on our lives to knowing who we are who God says we are so that we don't come against him so that we don't walk in the things that God called us if we do we're definitely going to come against him. So he will definitely have different situations in your lives that could keep you spiritually asleep, you know, not conscious to real reality of things. We always hear that the spiritual world is more real than the natural world. It is. And unfortunately, he plays in a natural world. He plays on our, our flesh. You know, he plays on our natural senses, our desires, the things that we enjoy, whether they're good or bad, whether they're against God's will or not. He plays on those things to keep us spiritually asleep. So let me go into these definitions. Definition number one, a condition of the body and mind that typically recurs for several hours every night in which the nervous system is relatively inactive. The eyes closed. The posterior muscles relaxed and consciousness practically suspended. Definition number two, the natural, easily reversible periodic state of many living things that's marked by the absence of wakefulness and by the loss of consciousness of one's surroundings is accompanied by a typical body posture as laying down with the eyes closed, the occurrence of dreaming, and changes in the brain activity. Wow. 
That is a mouthful. Laying down to things. Not standing up for yourself. Not being conscious of who you are. Being in a dreamlike state. No brain activity. No spiritual brain activity. You know, no connection to the Holy Spirit. Not even in a position of asking the Holy Spirit what it is that you should be doing with your life. Because you are spiritually unconscious. How does these things happen? You know, what does it mean to sleep with the enemy? How does he get us in a sleeping state? So first, first I'm going to go into what does it mean to sleep with your enemy? Google definition says to be forced to live unwillingly in an abusive or repugnant environment or cooperating out of necessity with someone who is not actually trustworthy. That's if you know that you're in that position. So you may have been asleep when that that, uh, abusive relationship presented itself. Of course, it didn't present itself as being an abusive relationship. It had to somehow entice you in order for you to step in it. No one knowingly will sleep with an enemy. No one knowingly will be in uh, an abusive relationship unless that is something that they're used to, something, some type of environment that they've grown up, they've grown up in where they could see red flags in a relationship, not even know that they're red flags because they're asleep. They've been, uh, you know, in, let's say, an environment where everybody around them is asleep. You know, they were born into people who are just spiritually unconscious and who has no idea that abuse is wrong, that abuse is not love. Those are one of um, the ways that you could not invitingly, but, you know, invite or step into something that's not beneficial to you, something that's not loving, something that's not real. And talking about sleeping with the enemy, there's so many ways to go with this topic. I want to speak on one, getting in bed with business partners and not knowing what their true agendas are. You know, you can make an investment into something because you trust a person because this person is your friend you know they could come up with a business scheme business plan business idea you don't know that it's a scheme but because you know this person you trust them and so you get in business with them you lie in bed with your enemy they still you're part of the investment and you get no return that's one way of thinking about sleeping with the enemy another way is married couples, whether you're a king, you're with a, a kingdom spouse or whether you married someone that, you know, you didn't ask the Lord about or whether you are with a kingdom spouse and that kingdom spouse has stepped out on you, you know, went and slept with someone else and they're in the bed with the enemy. I call that sleeping with the enemy because the person that they're sleeping with that they're not married to, they're going to be They're going to pretend to be this wonderful person that you may think you're seeking because they're showing you all the things that your spouse doesn't. When you step into a relationship like that, for one, it's manipulation at its finest. You know, a lot of these relationships, side relationships, they want to find out from you what's going on with your spouse. You know, why you guys are having issues. And when you feel comfortable enough, you know, you trust them to tell them what's going on in your life, what's going on with your spouse, you know, if they're not cooking, if they're not cleaning, if, you know, whatever the case may be, if you're telling this outsider, this person that's not in your marriage, your business, they're going to use those things to be everything that you think you desire. Of course. It's competition against your wife. There's so many different stories that I could just go with when it comes to the whole adulterous stuff. You know, I really feel like the person that you are cheating with, they don't even realize the spirit that comes with adultery. A lot of the times these people really aren't into you. 
and wouldn't really care to look your way if you wasn't attached to another spouse. But that spirit wants to come against marriage. It wants to come against what God created. God is the true creator of marriage. And there's no way to have a successful marriage without him. And so when you step into that whole scenario of adultery, of course that spirit is going to come against what God has created. You know, the word says that what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. What does that mean? God said that for a reason. That spirit entices that person to come after you even more. And again, this may be a person that they wouldn't look at you twice if you weren't married. But it's something about being married in the spirit of adultery that intensifies things, makes things worse. Again, you're getting in bed with the enemy. You don't know. You're unconscious. You know, you're in a laying down state with your spiritual eyes closed. You can't see the plots and plans and schemes of this person. This person is really pretending to be something that they're not. They have a few masks on. They want to be everything to you that your spouse supposedly isn't at the moment. And then, because you've stepped into manipulation, you're under this person's control. You're asleep. You're consciously asleep. This person is pacifying you. You know, it's like a baby. All you want is comfort because you may not be getting that comfort or attention or whatever it is at home. And so you lay in this person's lap. You tell them all your problems. And what do they do? They rock you right to sleep and they take control. Because when you fall asleep in front of somebody, you have to trust that person. That person has to make the environment inviting. You know, they have to put you in a comfortable state for you to even want to fall asleep. And what I mean by falling asleep is, again, giving them control, telling them what's wrong in your marriage, telling them about your other spouse. Some some people go as far as telling them where the other spouse works at, you know, who the other spouse friends and family members are. They make enemies for their spouse because they're comfortable with them. They think, oh, well, you know, they understand the situation. They know that I'm married. They wouldn't hurt my wife. They wouldn't hurt my husband. You don't know what these people would do when they're under the influence of the spirit of adultery. Those are one of the ways of uh, sleeping with the enemy. So let's go to a scripture. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 14 through 15. And this is the NLT version. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. So the enemy is not going to come to you showing you his full deck of cards. Nobody is ever, when, it, when, it, when you have an enemy, you are never going to show them all your weapons. You are never going to explain your plots and your plans and how you're going to come against them, how you're going to take them from their husband or their wife, how you're going to cheat them in business, how you're going to have them, you know, investing you and all you're going to do is run with the money. No one, no enemy will ever tell their enemy that they're tricking them, that they're pulling the wool over their eyes, that they're manipulating them. This person is fully in it for themselves, so why would they tell you, the person that they're trying to trick, their enemy, why would they tell you who they really are? Again, they have to create an inviting environment in order to gain control, in order to put you in a weakened state. The first, the third definition that I spoke on with the enemy was a thing that harms or weakens someone else, something or someone else. You have to put yourself in a position to be weakened or to be harmed. That means that you, the, the enemy has to be some type of inviting, you know, where you can't see their true colors. You can't see who they are. 
when it comes to the, the movie Fatal Attraction. When he first slept with that woman, you know, and cheated on his wife, she wasn't as crazy. She didn't act that crazy that first night that he slept with her. She was very nice, funny, cooked good, looked good. Those were the inviting tactics. And then when he showed that he wanted to be with his wife and that she was just a flame, all hell broke loose, so to speak. She got the cook and the rabbit. She started coming against his family. He created an enemy for not only himself, but he also created an enemy for his family. These are the things that we do. When we don't get close to God, we are spiritually asleep. We're not awake. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us and lead us. These are the things that we do. We get in bed with the enemy. We lie down. We get comfortable. We're out of conscious. We're out of whack. We're not paying attention. We can't pay attention. We go back to that definition. Let's go back to the definition here where it says, this, then this is the second definition. It says the natural, the natural, easily reversible, periodic state of many living things that marked, that's marked by the absence of wakefulness. If you're not awake, you're not focused. We got this whole woke culture now that's talking about being woke where you're not asleep to the reality of what's going on, right? The reality of what's going on in society. The enemy does this to us all the time. A lot of us are spiritually sleeping. We don't know the call that God has on our our lives. You know, we don't know the next move that God has for us. We're not conscious enough to ask God, where should we move? Where should we raise our families? Where should we work? If we should go shopping here, if we should spend a certain amount of money, we are spiritually asleep. And the enemy loves it that way. Because if you are not connected to God, then you can't come against him. If you are connected to God, then the devil is your enemy. So why would he want you awake? He wants you to lie in bed with him where he can rock you to sleep and you don't know what's going on. That's the whole point of why I wanted to bring this message. I still got some more word. Bear with me, guys. It's a lot here. So I wanted to speak on manipulation, right? And when I look at the story of King Saul, I wanted to talk about how he tried to manipulate. If you haven't read King Saul, go to 1 Samuel. It's an interesting story about how he was the chosen anointed king and how because he did not follow instructions, he quickly became God's enemy. But I want to talk about his manipulation tactic and how your desires are what can get you in trouble. Your desires can put you in bed with the enemy if you're not paying attention. So, Saul gives us an explanation of manipulation. In first in 1 Samuel, excuse me, chapter 15, King Saul was sent by the Lord to destroy the Amalekite nation. God had decided to settle accounts with the nation for opposing Israel when they came up from Egypt. God wanted to get even with this nation for picking on his people. One thing I know about God is that he does not play when it comes to me. Amen. The Lord wanted total destruction, no exceptions. Well, Saul didn't do what God had commanded. He did what he wanted to fulfill his own desires. When confronted by Samuel, the prophet, who had given him the instructions from the Lord, he tried to twist what was spoken by God. 1 Samuel in the NLT version, chapter 15, 14 through 23. Bear with me, guys. This is a lot. This is Saul answering back to Samuel. Samuel goes to him to find out why. Why didn't he listen to the Lord? Because, of course, he's a prophet and the Lord basically told him what was going on. 
that Saul hadn't followed his instruction. So this is Saul answering back to Samuel after Samuel said to him, you know, what's this I hear that you didn't follow the instructions and you didn't listen to the Lord and you have all these things, you gathered all these things, you know, you went more for what you wanted than, you know, what God, God's plan was. So this is Saul speaking. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, the goats, and the cattle. Saul admitted this. But they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. When you look at that, and he says, yeah, we didn't do everything that God told us to do. We did spare you know, the good stuff there. We destroyed everything else. We only spared it so that we could sacrifice it to the Lord. Does God want you to disobey him to sacrifice them? Doesn't make sense. But this is the manipulation. When he looked at what was good, he was greedy. It was a desire to him. He looked at what was appeasing to him, not what be not what would be appeasing to God, not what would be desirable to God. So this is the manipulation here. Like, no, I, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't do what you said, but I did do a good deed. I mean, hey, the stuff that I thought was good, we, we're going to use it and sacrifice it to the Lord. Come on. That's crazy to me. <laughs> That's crazy to me that you could ever even say this to a prophet. God had a plan and you went against it. So this is what uh, Saul says to him. He says, then, then Samuel, excuse me, this, this is what Samuel said to Saul. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, listen. Listen to what the Lord has said to me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asks. I'm pretty sure he's frustrated because he knows he's wrong. And Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, you are not, you are, excuse me, you are the leader of the tribe of Israel. The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. So what is he saying there? Because when Saul first started off talking, he said, yeah, the army did spare the best. can see here where Saul is really trying to get over like Samuel doesn't know what's going on so Samuel continues to go on and says the Lord has anointed you king of Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you to go and completely destroy the sinners the Amalekites until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? The excuse. This Here's the excuse that Saul used. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. But I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Ad- Agag but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Again, he keeps making it seem like we disobey God to sacrifice them. That doesn't make sense. You're telling me that you did what God told you not to do so that you could bring sacrifices to him. Come on now. This is nothing but manipulation and lies. And he's got to manipulate because he doesn't want to expose the real reason why he was greedy, why he didn't do what God asked him to do. But Samuel replied, what is it more, is it, excuse me, What isn't more pleasing to the Lord? Burnt offerings and sacrifice or obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. 
and submission is better than offering the fats of rams. Rebellion is a sinful, as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness, as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the commands of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul was out of there. When he tried to manipulate and make it seem like he was doing a good deed for God, even in an act of disobedience, even in an act of being selfish, of course God seemed right through that. No one wants a king that could lead a whole army astray. You have these men thinking that as long as they desired it, as long as they saw it as good, it was okay. Everything that we see or we think that we see is good for us. It's not good for us. God is the one with the God is the one with the eyes who he he can see beyond our desires, you know, beyond what we think we see. God sees the other side of it. Okay. Bear with me guys. Again, this is a lot of information. We do this in relationships. The relationships that are not ordained by God. When we don't want to wait on God for our kingdom spouse, what do we do? We think about our desires. We think about how we don't want to wait. You know, we think about how our, some women say, um, biological clock is ticking. So what do you do? You get into a relationship with somebody who is not your ordained spouse. They rock you to sleep. They make you think that they're going to give you the desires of your heart. And then eventually that lust that we thought was love runs out. And then what happens? All hell breaks loose. There's so many different ways that I could go with this. You know, as far as relationships that are not, that are not ordained by God. You got to stay close to him in order to know who he has for you. Whoever he has for you, their their love is not going to run out. It's not. Because it's real love. It's real love ordained by God. There's no plots. There's no plans. There's no schemes. You know, this person won't put you to sleep. In fact, this person will be trying to wake you up. This person will be trying to have you draw closer to God. You know, they'll be trying to bring out what they see in you, the calling on your life. They'll know it. They'll feel it. God will expose it to them, you know, and you, he'll expose what's in them to you when it's ordained. Okay. So how sleeping with the enemy can bring shame and sorrow to a household when we don't wait on God. Here's the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. We all know the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, our father of faith, he was waiting on God to give him and his wife a son or a child. And God had promised him because of his faithfulness that he would make him the father of many nations. But his wife, Sarah, she didn't have as much faith as her husband did. Sarah and Abraham could not conceive. So Sarah thought, I know just, I know I'll just go on ahead and, you know, get my my slave girl. She allowed her slave girl to sleep with her man. And she figured that they would take that baby because the baby was the seed of her husband, which meant it was her seed. Because they were married, she figured, okay, we're married. This girl belongs to me. All I have to do is have her have this baby and we'll have the family that we want. She didn't understand that she was inviting someone else into her marriage bed. There's only supposed to be you, God, and your spouse. Nobody extra. 
Things change when you sleep with people, especially outside of your marriage. That adulterous spirit comes right in and turns everything upside down. Now, of course, the word doesn't talk about adultery or the adulterous spirit in this particular story, but you could kind of see where things went because of Sarah offering up her husband to her slave. Abraham did sleep with Hagar because his wife asked, and when she got pregnant, she began to look down on Sarah. She thought she was better than her. So Sarah went to tell her husband about it, and he told her to handle her scandal. You created this mess, so you do with your servant what you will. So Sarah became abusive to Hagar, and Hagar ran away. The angel of the Lord came to Hagar and told her to go back to Sarah and go back to Abraham and to put up with the abuse. In other words, you know you slept with someone else's husband, so you got to deal with it. I feel like the reason why the Lord had her go back, one, he had promised to bless Hagar because it wasn't really a fair situation. I mean, she was a slave. She had to do what she was told, even if it meant offering up her body for for someone else's child, you know, for a man that she was not married to. So when you think about it back in those days, if a woman lost her virginity before getting married, she was damaged goods. So here it is. She's a human being, you know, but she is someone's slave. And she was only for the purpose of having someone else's child because they couldn't bear children. There was some sort of animosity there. You know, then she began to feel like she was better than Sarah because her body worked and Sarah's didn't. To me, that's that adulterous spirit. See, in my eyes, everything was cool. Of course, this wasn't something that Hagar wanted to do. But when she's once she slept with Sarah's husband and she conceived, she became the enemy. She started looking down on her, what they called uh, master at the time. She started looking down on Sarah. So she became the enemy. She thought she was better. She had his firstborn son. How did that happen? Well, Sarah put herself in this boat. Sarah wasn't trusting in God. Sarah was just thinking she wanted to give him a family. She wanted to give him what she knew that he desired. Again, that word desires again. If we don't put our trust in the Lord, we're going to be falling for our desires. We're going to be making stupid decisions, decisions that seem like we're asleep in a dream state, unconscious, not awake, not fully woke, not thinking things through because we're not trusting in God. We're not using his leadership, his guidance. God can see the other side of things that we can't. When we are so focused on our desires, we are definitely not paying attention to what outcomes could be. What could come of the decisions and choices that we make? What does it truly mean to sleep with the enemy? This had to be a miserable household. Here it is, Sarah's walking around, she's sad, she's uncomfortable, but she made the decision out of her desire to want a child so bad, she made a decision to allow another woman to sleep with her man. Here comes Hagar. Before she respected Sarah as her master. But then when she felt like she was much better, much better woman because she could handle her man, you know, she could give him something that Sarah couldn't, she became an enemy. She started to lose respect for her. Now, I feel like the Lord had her go back because, again, you did become her enemy. Even though she's abusing you now, don't make it seem like you were fully innocent in this whole thing. You were supposed to provide a child and not, that's it. You wasn't supposed to come against her or become her enemy or see yourself as better than her because you produce a kid. So most definitely she had to go back, but God did turn things around for Hagar and her son. 
as the story goes on. You have to read it. It's a very good story. Well, not story, but it's a very good lesson learned. Now, I want to talk about another scripture. I have Leviticus 20.10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. This is what used to happen back then. You were put to a physical death. But I see now in today's society, and I've, uh, you know, I've thought about this years ago. You are also, you're put to a spiritual death now and a spiritual sleep and slumber because the wages of sin is death. And sleeping with somebody's husband is definitely a wage of sin. You are putting yourself in a position of not being able to see correctly. Once you step over that threshold, you're going to be all tangled, whether you're the person who's participating in a relationship with someone who's married or whether you're married and participating, you know, outside of your marriage. Manipulation and all kind of stuff happens. You create enemies for your family, especially when you go outside of your marriage. The enemy will have you thinking that your desires are more important than your household. You have a woman coming against your 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 spouse, coming against your woman, wanting to kill her. You know how many relationships out there where the husband killed himself and, and killed the, the female because he found out that she was cheating on him or vice versa? Sleeping with the enemy. We have to stay close to God to know who our enemies are because they wear disguises. And again, when you step into an adulterous situation, oh, come on. Sometimes these men or women, they start fights with you so they could go right back out the door. So they could go to what it is that they desire, the fake desire, what the enemy is making them think that they're getting out of the situation. That's how it goes. The enemy is very skillful at making us think that what we are getting out of the situation, the desire, you know, was pleasing to us, was soothing to us, was pacifying us. He's very skilled at making us think that that is more important at the moment. Now we're going to talk about how sleeping with the enemy can destroy the destiny that God has for you. The call on your life. How it can even bring death to you and your family. We're going to discuss uh, the story of Jezebel and Ahab. Everybody knows about Jezebel. How she was controlling. How she basically was the king how she was the husband in her marriage. Now, of course, she had to provide an environment for Ahab to make him feel comfortable enough to allow her to assert herself in this way. She had to do some things to make him think that she loved him and she cared about his desires and what he wanted and how she would do anything for him. Really, this was the enemy in disguise. He wanted to take control over the kingdom, so Jezebel was definitely a perfect way to do so. Israel fell into both of these two being in charge of the kingdom of Israel because of their past sins. So God allowed this to happen. But this story is very significant if you pay attention to how Jezebel did things. In this story, I'm going to talk about Nobab. Ahab goes to Nobath and he basically asks him, could he buy his vineyard? But he was told by Nobath that he could not sell the vineyard because this was uh, property that came from his ancestors. The Lord had forbid them to sell it. So it wasn't something that he could do. So Ahab went home and he was very disgusted. He was angry. He was defeated. He was so upset he wouldn't even eat. 
And so when Jezebel got word of this, she, the first question she asked them was, was he king or not? So basically she's asking him, what kind of power do you have? If you are the king, then it doesn't matter whether you have legal rights to his land or not. It doesn't matter what God told him, you know, that he couldn't sell it. You're the king. And because you're the king, you're going to get that land. And so basically what she did was she created a comfortable environment for him. She made him feel like she cared about his desires. She made him think that she was going to take care of everything. A lot of us are in situations because we feel like this person, this enemy that we're sleeping with, they're taking care of things for us. They're pleasuring us. They're giving us our heart's desires. They're doing things for us that nobody else would. This is how the enemy asserts itself in your life. This is how the enemy puts you to sleep. This is how the enemy blinds you and not allows you to see what he's actually doing. The whole point of Jezebel doing this was to take full control. To put her husband in a position where she he listens to what she says because she has him under the impression now that she cares about what it is that he wants and that she would even kill for him. So basically what she did was she wrote a letter and basically sent, uh, it says, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed, sealed them with his seal and sent them to the elders and other leaders of the town where Nobath lived. In her letter, she commanded that they call all the citizens together for a time of fasting and give Nobath a place of honor. So she wanted to trick Nobath as well in order to get him there. She wanted to make Nobath think that he was being honored. She wanted to make him uh, feel like he was being praised for something in order to come against him, in order to take from him. She rocked him asleep. This is another form of being asleep. Not necessarily sleeping with the enemy, but this is another way of how the enemy manipulates. Praising you, making you think that you all of that just to take something from you. It's crazy. So what she did pretty much was once they got him to a place of where they made him feel like he was being honored, they then blamed him for, they accused him, it says, of cursing God and the king. And then they took him out and stoned him to death. This was all to take away his vineyard. So they killed the innocent man, but look how they seduced him into doing it. They tricked him and made him think that he was being honored when he was actually walking into a death trap. So I'm going to also read on the punishment that Jezebel and King Ahab received because of their dirty works. This is how the enemy can lead you into or lead you away from the destiny or the calling on your life. These are the cause and effects of what could happen if you want to tie yourself to somebody who's not ordained for you, who's not your kingdom spouse. Or if you are in a relationship with somebody who's your plain flat out enemy, but you can't see it. See, Ahab wasn't looking at the fact that this woman wasn't staying in a woman's place, that she was trying to take control of the kingdom. He was looking at it as, she's gonna get me the thing that I want. I came home upset because I couldn't get this vineyard, something that I desired, but my wife is gonna take care of everything. That's what he thought. And in the end, what did it make him look like as king? It made him look weak. It made him look foolish. Not only that, this is a woman who worships other God. God's outside of what, what you know, your lineage is. You know, you're supposed to be worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here you are bowing down to Baal because of your desires, because of your wife tricking you and making you think 
that she could provide for you what nobody else could. All a trick and all a plot to control or have control over the kingdom. So let me go on and read this. From what his wife did, he received a punishment. First King 21, 17 to 25. This is going to be a long read, guys. Bear with me. But the Lord said to Elijah, go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He will be at the Nobab's vineyard in, in, in Jazreel, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Wasn't it enough that you killed Nobab? Must you rob him too? Because you have done these things, the dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they licked the blood of Nobabs. So my enemies, you have found me, Ahab explained to Elijah. Yes, Elijah answered. I have come because you have sold yourself to what is evil in the Lord's sight. So now the Lord says, I will bring disaster on you and consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slaves and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I'm going to destroy your family as I did the family of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and the family of Basha, son of Ahijah. For you have made me very angry and have led Israel into sin. And regarding Jezebel, the Lord says dogs will eat Jezebel's body at the plot of land in Jezreel. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. Ahab knew there was no way for him to get that vineyard. He knew whatever his wife would do, it would be wrong. But he didn't care. He was getting what he wanted. Influence. He was manipulated. That's the thing. We sit back and we lay down just as the description of sleep gave. We lay down and we're unconscious because we're so fixated on what it is that we want. We're so fixated on the pleasure that we're getting from the relationship, from a situation, from what sounds good. Earlier I mentioned a business deal with someone you think you know, someone you trust because you've known them for a long time and you put your money into their hands and they turn around and they steal it. They had to come up with a good story or scheme or plot or business plan in order for you to even invest. So you're thinking about your return. You're thinking about what it is that you're going to get, but you're not seeing the outcome. You're not looking. You're blinded by your desires. You're asleep. And so you get in bed with the enemy and all hell breaks loose. Look at where it led Jezebel and Ahab. Jezebel was definitely going to get her her, uh, just dessert because she was evil and because she worshipped other gods or the guy Baal. And because she killed so many, I mean, she did so many evil things. You'd have to go into the scripture, First King, and read it all. What she did and who she was and how she did it. I mean, there's so many different words on Jezebel and, and just who she was. She was already going to get her just dessert. I mean, we, we heard it when we read the scripture as Uh, Speaking on how Satan comes disguised, you know, it says that, of course, his uh, servants will disguise themselves as well. But in the end, they will definitely get their just dessert. Same situation with, with her. She didn't care, though. She didn't care. She to me, Jezebel was one of those people that she lived for today. 
if she, as long as she had control, she was going to get what she wanted. She was going to do what she wanted. Her husband couldn't see that. In this situation, he saw his wife, he saw his boo going to get what he wanted. The thing that he was upset about, the thing that he couldn't control, that's what he was focused on. He was focused on his desire. We got to be careful about what we desire outside of the Lord. We got to sit down and really get close to God and ask him to make our desires or his desires, our desires, excuse me. We want the desires that God has for our lives. We don't want our own desires because we're blinded by what it is that we desire. When you desire something, you only see one part of it. You don't see the whole situation. Going back to men in adultery or women in adultery, you're looking at what you think you're getting. When all reality, the grass is not greener on the other side. There's all type of... I mean, I used to watch the show on TV One called Fatal Attraction. There's so many different stories on how these people get into relationships. Not necessarily marriage all the time, but how people get into relationships. They sleep with somebody and the person kills them. They didn't know where they were sleeping with the enemy the whole time. You never know. But you will know if you stay close to the Lord. You will know if you keep God in your life. If you stay close to him, you'll hear his voice. You'll you'll hearken unto his voice and you'll know who's good for you and who's not. These people come with masks. And now it's like more masks out there than ever. Especially when it comes to the adulterous situation. Those women don't really want you. Those men don't really want you. They want to come against your marriage. That spirit in them wants to come against your marriage. It wants to come against your household. It wants to tear down what God has created. You begin to behave in a way that comes against your whole household, comes against your wife, comes against your children. You destroy a whole family over your desires and what's pleasing to you. You become selfish. You're asleep. This person has rocked you to sleep. They've made you think that they want you and that they could treat you better. I always said, those mistresses, those, those, those mistresses, or let's put it in the male's perspective, they don't really love you. They don't love you like your wife does. Especially if you're a cheater. Nine times out of ten, the wife is the one who loves you the most because she knows you better than any woman that you can go out there and get. She's put up with a lot of your junk. He's put up with a lot of your junk. And if you are selfish enough to go out there and cheat and destroy your family for one night of desire or however long it may be, Come on. At the end of the day, this person is helping you cheat on your spouse. You don't think that they're a cheater? You don't think that they're plotters? You don't think that they're some type of enemy? They're helping you come against somebody that didn't hurt them, that did no wrong to them. Most of these people that do it I mean, come on, there's all kinds of reasons why, you know, the person that's in a marriage, they lie. You know, the person that's sleeping with somebody that they know is married, they lie. Sometimes people don't know that the person is married. It's just all kind of entanglements and screw-ups. But the whole point that I'm trying to make is when you sleep with the enemy, you are sleeping. You can't see what you would see in your waking life. The only way to be woke, the only way to be conscious is if you are connected to the one true God. He is your source. He could tell you where the enemy is. He could tell you what kind of mask he got on. He could tell you any and everything that you want to know that would help you. 
become who he's called you to be. But you have to stay close to him in order to hear and to be directed and to be led. I remember asking the Lord about somebody. And I kid you not, I went to sleep and clear as day, God gave me the whole picture. He showed me exactly who that person was. Sometimes we ask God to show us things that we think it'll take time. But God knows your heart. He knows what decisions we're going to make if he's not informing us. Just like us with, you know, our children. We know we don't inform them of certain things. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things that's going to hurt them in the long run. God is our protector. God is our covering. The Lord is our covering. He's going to keep you. He's going to cover you if you desire. He doesn't push himself on anyone. He's not the manipulator. He doesn't disguise himself. He he doesn't have a reason to be in disguise. The word says that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not going to present that to you. He's not. What killer is going to come up to you and say, hey, I'm going to kill you? Unless they really have you at a weakened point. But if you're in a place where you could get away, he's definitely not going to tell you that he's about to kill you. He's definitely not going to tell you he's about to destroy you. And he's not going to tell you he's about to steal. But the word also says that the Lord came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, we need direction. We need his leadership. We need his guidance. The only way to do that is to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. Accept him as your Lord and personal Savior and he will guide you. His word says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And I am a witness of that. I am a true witness of God being by my side. It may not always seem like it, but he's there. And the things that he does for me, the doors that he opens for me, the way that he covers myself and my children, the way that he covers my family. The Lord has kept me so, and I am so thankful to him for it. I am in a state of mind where I'm not making no decisions without him. It's too scary out here. You know, with with all these different these different genders, these different personalities, these different mental illnesses, these just it's just different. The only way to know for sure who God has brought into your life is by staying close to him. Staying in the under the shadow of the Almighty. That's the only way. Guys, I feel like I've been all over the place tonight. It's like I struggled to get this message out. I had a really bad cold that came and stayed for a week and then went away and then came back. I had an itchy, scratchy voice. So during this broadcast, I was coughing and pausing and Oh, I just thank the Lord that I was able to get this recording out tonight. It is very long, very long. I was going to make this a two-part or three-part series, but I figured, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to put it out there. And I just pray that you guys received it well. I pray that it, it really did something for your spirit. It really gave you some knowledge, some new knowledge. Um, and I just hope that you were blessed. Until next time, guys, stay in peace, stay close to the Lord, get in your word, pray, allow him to use you. Don't step away from his will. Don't allow the enemy to put you to sleep. Don't allow him to put you in a lying position where you are not wake up, ready, conscious, and watching and seeing what God has for you next. I love you guys.
Thank you for tuning in to Something to Say. For updates, please follow me on Instagram. Something to Say Podcast 21. That's S-O-M-E-T-H-I-N-G, the number 2, S-A-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T 21. This is where you can contact me for updates on new uploads. You can also comment, like, and share posts. At this time, there is no way to leave a comment with your feedback on each episode. Please send in DMs on your topics that you'd like to discuss. Also, prayer requests or questions that you may have. Those of you requesting certain topics can do so anonymously. I pray that the words spoken today will take root in your heart and feed your soul. Until next time, be blessed in the name of our Lord.